We return this morning to Matthew chapter 5, 17 to 20. Matthew 5, 17 to 20. Jesus said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to complete or fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, not one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of the least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Father, this morning it is striking to us as we read the text that we are living on a day in which greatness will be assigned to the gridiron and not necessarily in the minds of many people to the Word of God, written or living. Help us in today as we continue to deal with the unique relationship between the law as revealed, Hebrew Scriptures, Old Testament Scriptures, and the revelation of our Lord Jesus, New Testament Scriptures, and how that the New Testament is the head of the Old Testament body, and that Christ in every way is the fulfillment of the law. May our continued thoughts in this regard fortify our understanding of the preeminence and the glory and the blessing to ever be associated with our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. May he be honored. May you be glorified today as we preach the truth of this text. For we ask in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen. As I told you last week, this week we're going to start with a tittle difference. I want you to understand, I want you to see for yourself the tittle difference. So take your Bible and turn with me to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Longest chapter in the Bible all about the Bible. Psalm 119, longest chapter in the Bible about the Bible. And as you look at Psalm 119 and verse 1, you will note that above where the verse starts, in many of the copies of your scripture, there will be the Hebrew letter Aleph. It may even be spelled out in English characters for you in your Bible, A-L-E-F, but it's pronounced Aleph like almost the olive you eat off a pizza. How many of you have the olive above the text? Let me see your hand. Raise it high so I can see it. All right, there's a few of you that don't, and if you don't, move close to somebody who does, because I want you to see 
the tittle difference. I don't want you just to hear about the tittle difference this morning. I want you to see the tittle difference. And then connect that back to Matthew chapter 5 and verses 17 to 20. So with Psalm 119 before us, and you've noted the aspect of olive at the beginning of the text. Now turn to verse 73. 73. And above verse 73 is jod or jot. Or in some copies of the Bible, yod. And the difference between the J and the Y in Hebrew is non-existent. It's simply a rough breathing mark or a smooth breathing mark. And I have a little duflicky that is there above verse 73 in my Bible. It almost looks like my pen did something I didn't want it to do in my Bible. But that's actually a Hebrew letter. It is the smallest Hebrew letter it looks an awful lot like an American-English apostrophe. But in fact, grammatically, it would parallel the English letter I and the Greek letter Yoda. And uh, uh, though it looks like just a little tiny dot on the page, in fact, that is the Hebrew letter Jod or Jot or Yod as referenced by Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. If you look then at verse 81, you will see the Hebrew equivalent equivalent letter, kaf, for the English K. And I want you to look at that letter. It's a little easier to see uh, than the yod or the jod. Uh, but kaf, in above verse 81, you'll see a, a kind of a, a thick stroke at the top, kind of a thick stroke at the bottom. And then you have a curved line from top to bottom forming almost like a sideways U. See that? And if you think about how the uh, sideways U looks when you turn it right side up, it almost looks like the symbol for the University of Miami. The U, as it's called. But you have a thick line, curvy line, connecting another thick line. Thick line, thick line, curvy line. Got that? Okay, uh, one more stop in our little, uh, in our little uh, uh, quest here uh, to demonstrate uh, the tittle difference. Keep your finger in 81 and turn back a page or two to get to verse 9. And look at the Hebrew letter, bait. B-E-T-H spells Beth in English, but it's pronounced bait, like fishing bait in Hebrew. And if you notice, there's a thick line on the top and a thick line on the bottom, and then a line that connects the two. In other words, the Hebrew bait is very much like the Hebrew kaf, 81 kaf, verse 9, bait. 81 kaf, verse 9, bait. Uh, if we were to describe the difference, we'd say the line going from the, from the thicker line on the top to the thicker line on the bottom is, is straighter with the letter bait. And actually, the thick lines themselves are, are slightly different in regards to the aspect of the way the letter is formed. But when you look at the Hebrew letter bait, and you look at the Hebrew letter kaf, and you look at the Hebrew letter bait, and you look at the Hebrew letter uh, kaf, you are looking at the tittle difference. 
that is the tittle difference. And Jesus said that not one boop, yod, jot, yod, or jod, smallest letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Jesus said that not one tittle difference would pass away from the law of God before everything that the law talks about would be perfectly and finally fulfilled. King Jesus, back to Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 20, King Jesus, speaking about the eternal value of God's law and its ongoing role outlasting the universe, said, not one tittle shall pass till all shall come to pass. The word tittle literally means small horn or protrusion, like a Michigan button buck. Little tiny dink of a thing. Little button buck. Just a little horn. A little protrusion. And grammatically, you have seen this morning that tittle difference. As we return to Matthew chapter 5, 17 to 20, we want to refresh our minds, first of all this morning, concerning what King Jesus said about the ongoing role of God's law, verses 17 and 18. Think not, said our Lord, that I am come to destroy the law and the prophets. I trust you remember what the significance is of the definite article, the law and the prophets. By specifying uh, uh, the law and prophets with the definite article, in this particular case, Jesus is denoting the whole of what you and I call the Hebrew scriptures, Genesis to Malachi. Jesus is saying that he came not to destroy in any way the whole of the Hebrew scriptures, Genesis to Malachi. He said, I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And we said that that word fulfill means to complete. Jesus is the completion of the law in every way. And there's about seven different ways in which he does complete the law. And we don't have the time this morning to chase those. But I just simply say that Jesus, again, is the complete and perfect fulfillment of the law. The Lord Jesus made it crystal clear that he did not consider the law of God as revealed to and through Moses as obsolete. Jesus viewed the law as unfulfilled. We say it again. Jesus did not view the law as obsolete. Oh, that's an old law and no longer applies to the modern age. No. Jesus did not view the law as obsolete. Jesus viewed the law as unfulfilled. The law and uh, uh, the law was and the law is a perfect revelation of God's own righteousness. That's why that text in Psalm 119, 145 has been banging around in my head for weeks. And that text, it says, thy righteousness, speaking to God, thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy law is truth. And I said, and I say again, you could add the words of it to that verse. In other words, thy righteousness, O God, is an everlasting righteousness, and thy law is the truth of that righteousness. It's the truth of it. 
And so in no way is the law to be considered ultimately obsolete, but rather unfulfilled. Jesus did not come to render that revelation from God, that perfect revelation from God, void, but to complete and fulfill the law as God had always intended it to be fulfilled. The law remains holy. The law remains just or righteous. The law remains good. The law remains spiritual, as Paul said it to the Romans in chapter 7, verses 12 and 14. Paul told the Galatians that the law was their schoolmaster or their tutor uh, to bring them to Christ, to bring them to Messiah, uh, Galatians 3.24. One of the things that we have lamented in this modern age of evangelical presentation of the gospel is the ignoring of the law of God. As a result of that, there's a lot of people that think they're trusting and giving their heart to the Lord Jesus so that Jesus can fulfill their best life now rather than save them from their wretchedness and sinfulness. In other words, by not attending rightly to the law of God, the standard of God, people really don't understand why they need to be saved. Most people think themselves to be okay. And you do not tell the gospel if you do not help people to understand why they need to be saved. When somebody is drowning in the water of Lake Michigan, you don't have to quibble uh, to uh, uh, wonder if they, if they want to be saved. You know that they're more than happy to take your life preserver if you got one. We just don't see that attitude in anybody these days because we have ignored the drowning status of every man in their own sins. The law is God's tool, his forever ongoing tool, to help us all to understand the necessity of our need of God's rescue. While believers in Jesus the Christ are proclaimed to be free from the curse of the law, which is death, we understand that the law of God can no more fail in its role than God himself. God's law is a faithful reflection of God's own character and therefore is changeless and eternal. Jesus said the law will outlast the universe, and it surely will. In fact, Psalm 119.89 says, Forever, O Lord, is thy word settled in heaven. Again, I stress the fact that the word fulfill in verse 17 speaks of completion. Jesus Christ is the completion of the law of God's intention for man or mankind. Jesus Christ is the completion of the law of God's projection and promise of mankind's rescue. He not only fulfills the law as God intended that all men would live after that law, but he fulfills that law in regards to what it projects. He fulfills that law as to what it promises by way of ceremonial and ritual emphasis, uh, being, as it were, uh, the ultimate sacrifice, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. The law faithfully defines the demand of God for human righteousness and specifies the way that unrighteous man could find rescue 
by bloody sacrifice in substitution according to the plan of God. The law finds its destiny in the Lord Jesus. Here's how Paul said that. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. Romans 10.4. Christ is the end of the law. That the law is no more? Oh, of course not. The law is forever. He's the end of the law. He's the completion of the law. He's the perfect uh, 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 destiny of the law for righteousness. And as we've said, as we've begun to characterize this Sermon on the Mount, this Messianic Manifesto from week one, uh, this sermon is all about God's righteousness and the revelation of righteousness as maintained in King Jesus and expected of kingdom citizens. So, there is an ongoing sense of relevancy as it relates to God's law, even for us here today in this hour. Secondly, I want to quickly revisit the truth of the outlying righteousness of God's demand, jumping down to verse 20. Jesus said, For this I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into uh, the kingdom of heaven. And uh, it's hard for you and I to hear those words uh, and understand the shock of them. But uh, uh, maybe this will help a little bit. Uh, Just conjure up in the imagination of your mind, right now here Sunday morning, uh, just conjure up in your mind uh, the, the single person that you consider to be Uh, the most godly person that you have ever met or known. Just conjure up in your mind the most godly person that you have ever met or known. Just get that person in in your mind. Uh, Just get them in your mind, and it may be a him, it may be a her, I don't know. But whoever it is, get them in your mind, get them in your mind. And then when you have them in your mind, uh, uh, listen to this uh, verse of Scripture again from the lips of the Lord Jesus. I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of that person, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Lord, I can't be like the pastor. I can't be like godly so-and-so. Yeah, neither can they. What is our hope? In whom is our faith? What is the focus of our love? Jesus Christ and him alone. There is none else. We are not people that have the idea that you can embrace the aspect of some kind of religious facade and that somehow God's going to be okay with that. We are people that understand that all of our lives are tainted and impacted by ongoing sinfulness. And that we are saved by the grace of God through faith and that not of ourselves, lest any one of us should take up boast. We call it outlying righteousness, the outlying righteousness of God's demand, which cannot be met 
by any person born of Adam. That's why it's outlying. It's beyond us. The demand of the law, the perfect righteousness as reflected in the law of God is beyond me and beyond you as those born of Adam. Scripture says it simply. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Thus, Matthew has taken pains to tell us in his gospel account of the unusual conception of Jesus within the womb of the Virgin Mary by God the Holy Spirit. Mary would have a baby without a man. She would have a man without a man. She would have a man by means of a special pregnancy created by the Holy Spirit of God within her womb so that Jesus could be rightly called the Son of Man and the Son of God. He was born without a sin nature, and he lived on earth without sinning. He is righteous, and as the Old Testament prophecies proclaim, he shall make righteous. If the only thing that the Bible had to say was, Jesus is righteous, if that's all the Bible said, all we could do is admire him. Wow, wow, wow. What a, what a person. Uh, what a God-man. Uh, what a Jesus. Uh, he is perfectly righteous. Good for you. But the message of the Bible is not that he is just righteous himself, but that by his cross, in dying for our sins, he makes righteous those who depend upon him. Thus our kids learned that name, Yahweh, to Sidkenu, the Lord, our righteousness. We understand Jesus as the Lord, our righteousness. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. He is our righteousness. He alone is the righteousness of God's demand. What God has demanded of humanity, he has supplied in Jesus Christ. Therefore, Jesus said that the brand of external, self-developed, pick-and-choose righteousness of the religious devotees would not cut it with God. The scribes and Pharisees had a contrived sense of external righteousness. They had a self-initiated and self-maintained sense of, of righteousness. They had a, a pick-and-choose sense of righteousness as religious devotees. And Jesus' statement clearly says, those kind of people will not make it with God. There is no hope of religion. There is no hope in religion. No person can be right with God apart from 
personal relationship with Jesus, the righteous Christ. And that brings us very quickly and thirdly to this third point of emphasis, which really is the new thing for this morning. And that has to do to pressing the matter just a little bit more as it relates to obedient response, as the Lord talked about it on that day of record and is found in verse 19. Jesus said, Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. The consequences of the law depend upon a person's individual response to it. Say it once more. The consequences of the law depend upon a person's individual response to it. Jesus said, whosoever plays loose with even one of the smallest matters of the law as revealed, and by doing so influences others to do the same, is held in the view of God as dinky, is held in the view of God as small, Bible word, least. The word break in verse 19 is the common word luo, meaning to loose or to unloose. A person that lives or plays loose with even one very small thing in the law of God as revealed, according to Jesus, is looked upon disfavorably by the Almighty. It's interesting because the word luo becomes an important thing to think about back in verse 17 when Jesus asserted that he came not to, quote, destroy or nullify the law, his word choice was an intensive form of luo, and thereby we could say, listen, the Lord Jesus did not come to loosen any part of God's law. The Lord Jesus did not come to loosen any part of God's law, but to complete it, to fulfill it. Rabbis, the correct pronunciation would be rabbis, rabbis in Jesus' day as today make a distinction between light laws and weighty matters of the law. And, of course, we, too, recognize that not every law of God is given equal importance and priority. When we get to Matthew 23, we will hear the Lord say to some of those scribes and Pharisees, you know, you guys have been really fussy about tithing your mint and the spices in your kitchen cupboard. 
but you have not paid attention to the weightier matters of the law, like justice and love and care. In fact, we know from the lips of our Lord that loving God is the greatest law of all, followed by loving others as you love yourself. Some commands, however, are greater than others, according to Jesus. But according to Jesus, none of God's laws are to be discarded or dismissed. Listen carefully to these English words. God never says, oh, that's okay. A dad might say, oh, son, that's okay. A mother might say, oh, honey, that's okay. A pastor might say, oh, that's okay. God will never say, that's okay. And if you think you're going to deal with the guilt of that in your heart and life by resolving to do better next week, I'll try to do better tomorrow. Or come back from camp and say, I'm really going to live for the Lord now. You are just fooling yourself on the Christian coaster called the up and down trek of modern Christian embrace. People have a, a spiritual high, like going up, 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 up the roller coaster. <laughs> I'm doing good. I'm doing well. I'm living for the Lord. <laughs> down they go. And then they hear click, 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 click. I'm going up, click, 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 click. I'm going up, click, 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 click. I'm going up, I'm going up, I'm going up. And many people's religious experience in churches. Wow, 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 wow. Up and down and up and down. And when I see you when you're up, man, you're fun to be around. When I see you when you're down, whoo. Listen, God never intended you to ride that roller coaster. I don't know that God intended anybody to ride a roller coaster. That's a different, that's a different message. But I know this, that God never intended you to ride that roller coaster. Get off the coaster and get on with God by fully depending upon your Savior, Jesus Christ. What the Lord says here is just too good to miss. God's law, a.k.a. God's word should not be disregarded even in the smallest degree. Those that violate in small things are small in God's view. Small sins and inconsistencies place the person as small before the view of the Almighty. On the other hand, those that live and do according to even the smallest things revealed in the law are considered before the face of God to be great. Our Lord lived upon every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God and told the devil so. The king's way of life is the way of living for all kingdom citizens. The king's way of life 
is the way of living for all kingdom citizens. Would you like God to think you to be great? Obey his word. Obey his word. As our children sing it, obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. Violate and communicate in small things and you will be small before God. Obey and communicate in all things and you will be great before God. Now there's a couple of things here that relate to this text of scripture that from a theological standpoint we dare not miss. Number one, there will be rank and order in heaven. This verse confirms there will be rank and order in the kingdom of God ahead both in heaven and on earth. Some weak-minded Baptists think that when we all get to heaven, everyone will have the exact same eternal experience. Let me say it again. A lot of weak-minded Baptists think that when we get to heaven, everyone has the exact same eternal experience. One saved man lives the life of humble dependence on God, and walks faithfully after the pattern of his Lord, certainly not perfectly, but constantly on the try. Another saved man lives an unsteady and undisciplined life. Those two are not only notably different in the days of earthly sojourn, but they will be different in eternal experience and reward. God cannot be mocked. God will never say in time or eternity, oh, that's okay. Grace does not mean that God just looks the other way ever. Walking in loving obedience is the will of God for us all, and it is the standard by which all shall be judged. I rather appreciate the summary statement of MacArthur in this regard. He says, quote, Greatness before God is not determined by giftedness. Greatness before God is not determined by success, popularity, reputation, or size and scope of ministry but by a believer's view of the scripture as revealed in his life and teaching. Jesus said, in order to be great in the kingdom, you have to pay attention to the righteousness of God as revealed in the law. And you have to be fully dependent upon God's provision for that righteousness in order to associate yourself with that kind of greatness. The rabbis of Jesus' day had numbered the Old Testament laws to be 613. 
nothing like the 30,000 laws that have been added to the federal statutes since the Constitution of the United States was ratified. But nonetheless, the rabbis of Jesus' day had numbered the Old Testament laws to be 613, divided into two classes, uh, positive and negative. 365 negative prohibitions. There's one of those good flip devotionals for you. A negative sin to think about every day. You know, I, I don't know that I would print it, but nonetheless. 365 negative prohibitions and 245 positive injunctions are reflected in the Old Testament law. Uh, the, uh, uh, the, the Jewish rabbis would pray according to the 613 knots on the fringe of their prayer shawl like Catholics count beads. They would pray knots, pray fringes and knots on their prayer shawl. They'd finger their fringes and knots on their prayer shawl like Catholics count beads uh, in order to hit every one of the little things that... Uh, uh, that uh, were before their, their minds. And again, uh, the Lord made very clear that many of those external rituals simply masked before the eyes of men uh, the darkness of hearts. Religion is often the disguise created by men to cover up darkened hearts. Just ask Adam and Eve and their fig tree business uh, making clothes. Uh, uh, they, uh, that, those clothes cover up the aspect of the darkness of their hearts. Who can make his own heart clean? The Bible answer, as you well know, is no one. How much of God's law broken will still allow you to pass on judgment day favorably? Answer, not one jot or tittle. And beloved, that is the tittle difference that ought to drive you and me back to the person and work of Jesus Christ. It is the tittle difference that drives the righteous heart and righteous mind of an individual again and again and again back to the foot of the cross. Because even as Jerry Bridges says it, on your very best day ever living for God, you are still absolutely dependent upon the perfection of Jesus Christ in sacrifice in order that you would be at peace with God. Do not brag on your performance. Depend upon your Lord. He is our righteousness. Glory to God. His holy name. He and he alone has lived to the tittle degree. He has fulfilled to the tittle. He has completed to the tittle. And that's why I don't come here to sing about you. And you don't come here to sing about me. We come here to sing about the Lord. We come here to preach the Lord Jesus. We come to rally our souls around him because there is no other name among men whereby you can be saved except this blessed name of the Lord Jesus. The body of the Old Testament law finds its completion in the head, which is Christ. Now there is for us 
a level of perplexity when we think rightly about God's law and the Lord. In one blessed sense, the law has been completed in Jesus and done away with, as we've been learning most recently in Hebrews. And yet, at the same time, we are called to live in obedience to the spirit of that law as we do see it in the earthly life of our Lord. Be like Jesus, this my song, in the home and in the throng. Be like Jesus all day long. I would be like Jesus. Am I perfectly? No. Am I trying? Yes. God helping me, that's how I live. The children of God by faith in Jesus are under grace, not the law. They are free from the curse of the law. And yet they are called to live righteously as Christ is righteous. In Christ we find no warrant for lawlessness. In Christ we find no comfort for any continuing practice of earthly sin whatsoever. We live according to the law of Christ, always clinging, cleaving, to his perfect righteousness and seeking to live here and now righteously out of love to God who loved us first. We are those who stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. And we do not entangle ourselves with sin or religious bondage. That verse in Galatians 5 has to do with religious bondage. But you can apply it to sin and religious bondage. We are to stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free and not entangle ourselves again with sin or religious bondage. Those of faith in Christ are indeed page after page after page after page after page of Holy Scripture to live faithfully. It's all about faith and faithful. You can appreciate the fact that the offertory today was God is faithful. Father, thank you this morning for the listening ear.